everybody. I'm Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo, Iowa. I'm joined, as always, by David Mirkatani. David, how are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. We've uh, reached the stage, kind of this a little bit of a lull now, um, you know, the, the post-NCAA uh hangover and uh you know, getting ready to get tuned up here for the US Open and freestyle season. Um we had some high school all star meets here, the Dream Team Classic. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of those matches, but uh um gotta see a few of your guys that uh, were in the border brawl uh yeah. in this past weekend. Uh it's cool to Brown, watch those kids Jason, yeah. Jason Renneria, um, Austin O'Connor, um, sure I'm forgetting some, but uh, yeah, uh, it's fun to watch those guys again, and, and it's always cool to see the Dream Team and see uh, the next wave of, of talent that's going to be making its way to college mats. Um, you know, going back uh, years and years, um, some of the guys that we've seen in, in that just that have come through Iowa. Um, you know, Mark Perry, Steve Mako, um, Jake Rocholt. Uh, I could go on and on. Corey Cooperman, I remember watching him. Um, but anyway, we got uh, lots to talk about, as we always do when we get together on these things on Tuesdays. And uh want to just hand it over to you on where you want to go first. Yeah, I want to I want to start out on a sad note. Um, DJ Toll, former Mizzou wrestler, and he's a two-time Ohio State champion, uh, passed away and uh, he was 24 years old and um, I knew BJ a little bit just because being around you know he went to Mizzou and um, you know was near us geographically but uh, the statement from Coach Smith yeah I'm just going to read what he said he said I remember meeting BJ when he was in the eighth grade I joked with his older brother Zach who was also a Mizzou wrestler that he was stronger than him and I knew I would recruit him even though he wasn't in high school yet he came in with a great recruiting class. We had high expectations, but unfortunately, injuries kept him from reaching those expectations. The great thing about PJ was he continued to share his passion for wrestling through coaching and other avenues. He impacted so many other people's lives, just like he impacted ours. The Tiger-style family is going through a tough time right now. My biggest prayers are with his family, helping him get through this. And BJ was an assistant coach at uh, Battle High School in Columbia, and um, the head coach there is Mike Wakeham and the other assistant coaches, Kyle Bradley, and, and those guys are both actually friends of mine. So just want to pass along, you know, my prayers. I'm sure you want to do the same to, to the Toll family. And they have set up a GoFundMe. It's GoFundMe.com slash backing dash Bruce dash BJ if, if people feel so moved, you know, to, to want to help there. So just want to say that to those folks and you know they'll be in, in my prayers and I'm sure in yours yeah absolutely yeah absolutely. so deal. there's there's no there's no good segue here but I think one of the things that we were going to talk about this week were uh the next five teams the teams that took six through tenth at nationals this past year this past month and talk about kind of where we see their points going you know for those people that didn't listen last week um I do this, and then Andy tells me where I'm wrong. But if we feel like the team, the kid, or the weight class will score more than three team points than they did last year, we're going to give them a green. If plus or minus three, a yellow, and then losing more than three, we're going to give them a red. So the sixth place team this year was Virginia Tech with 63 and a half points. I have them getting greens with David McFadden uh, coming back at 165. Deck Epperly coming back at 174, and Zavatsky at 184. Those three weights combined to score three points at Nationals this year. And I got to believe between those three weights, they can score at least, you know, 10 at minimum, like say 10 points. Wouldn't you agree, Andy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking yeah. about uh, All-American coming back in McFadden. Right. Ryan Epperly that uh, – uh, you know, has had such a strong track record for, for a couple of years now and, and just not a very good tournament in St. Louis. And, 
Um, you know, he's, he's certainly going to perform better next year, I would think. And, and same with Zabowski. Sure. He had he had such a good regular season, and, and it just didn't happen for him. But, uh, um, you know, you look on paper, and, and you got to think of Virginia Tech from, from 65 through 97. Uh, it's going to be about as good as anybody um, yeah. in the country. And uh, so, you know, maybe with the exception of Penn State, and then I know Ohio, Ohio State's loaded uh, from from '65 on up. But uh, yeah, uh, certainly Virginia Tech's going to you know score more points at those three weights in particular. I, I would I would bet by a large margin. Right. Um, yeah. So they have big upside there. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And where I have them kind of holding steady is with Hot at 97 and Chisco at 49, two All Americans. Um, Hot could potentially move up, but it's just, you know, he's in a spot where it kind of feels like he'll probably end up scoring close to the same amount, same with Chisco. I also have him holding steady at 33 and 41 with Gustafson and Nordstrom. I mean, they scored zero this year, so it was just they'd have to score four, which is pretty close to All-American status for them to get a green light. And then the red lights I have are at the bookends where they lose Joey Dance and where they lose um, their heavyweight. So um, they just, they have, you know, kids there. And they're not saying they're not good kids, but, you know, they're not superstars like those guys. So it kind of feels like to me, if I had to guess, the the pluses and minuses almost pretty much kind of weigh themselves out there. And I feel like they'll be pretty close. They have Blees coming back at 57, which I feel will be a drop-off as well from – what they had there this year with Mastriani. So um, it kind of feels like they'll be right around in that 60 point, 60 to 65 point range again. Um, it'll be, I think the one bonus they have going for them is they probably will have no turmoil with their coaching staff this year. So, you know, they've got a great coaching staff put in place and um, I already talked to Tony Roby and um, we're going to definitely have Molinaro and probably Freyer both on sometime in the summer or fall on Matt Chat. So I'm excited to get to talk to those guys. Um, we go to Minnesota, and it's it's really a weird, weird thing with them. It feels like they're going to be the same in the first eight weights. Lezak, Mitch McKee, Tommy Thorne, I'm guessing James Berg at 49, Jake Short at 57, Wanzak 65, uh, Little Far at 74, and Bobby Stevenson at 84. Those guys are all kind of in spots where it's kind of hard for them to move up. I think if I had to guess a guy that would score more points than he scored this year, and I'm interested in what you would you would say, but my guess would be Mitch McKee. Of those guys, who do you think would probably be the most likely to make a jump? Yeah, I, I would agree with you there, although uh, lots of uh... Lots of top guys back at 133. Right. Um, yeah, that's the problem. No, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Whole picnic there so, for sure. Yep. I mean, Corey Clark graduates and uh, uh, Eric Montoya, but uh, boy, a lot of lot of top guys back at 133, and seems like that's a deep weight year after year after year, and and uh, it will be again next year. Yeah, and then they lose. They lose far and they lose their heavyweight Crails. So, and I don't think they have anybody. Obviously, they just got uh, Gabe Stevenson as a recruit, but he can't help them next year. So, it feels like they're probably going to fall off from the 62 and a half points. And, you know, we're giving everybody the credit for what they did this year. Lezak scored 18 and a half points. And certainly he can do that again, but that's a tough weight as well. So, it feels like there might be a little regression for Minnesota. Uh, then you go to Cornell, and they have a really – a lot of these rosters are relatively easy to, to make a guess on, and you know some of those guys out there, so I'm really interested to get your input on a couple of these. I've got them – here's what I have as their lineup, and it's a guess. I have Noah Bauman or Bauman back at 25. Macri, I'm guessing, will be at 33. I don't know at 41 if it's going to be a Raju. Yanni D, Will Cole, Dylan Riobuto. Um At 49, I don't know if it's going to be one of those guys or Freddie Stroker or Galasso. At 57, I don't know if it's going to be Freddie or Kyle Simaz. Feels like it'll be Womack again at 65. I'm guessing John J. Chavez at 74. I'm guessing Darmstead, who I know you're really high on at 84. And then I think it would be Honus and Sweeney at 97 and heavy. So. 
the upside guys I have for them is whoever goes 41 and whoever goes 49, because they scored zeros there this year, especially if Yanni or, or Vito goes 41. I feel like those guys would be major upside guys there. Do you, you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think uh, looking uh, down their lineup a little bit, though, uh, it could be uh, Max Dean at 84, and it could be Darmstadt at 97. Uh, nice. I know that uh, they like they like both of those young guys. Darmstadt, we've had a chance to to see him in a couple uh, uh, events, open tournaments, um, you know, in the fall and in, in the winter. Uh, super impressive. The guy just keeps continuing to get better and better and better. He's a pinner. Um, you know, I think uh, well, certainly you don't expect uh, Cornell to have anybody at the upper weights like like they did this year at 74-84 with Real Buto and, and Gabe Dean. But that being said, I mean, they've just had such a track record year after year after year uh, in the last decade or so of of being really strong from, from 74 on up, 74 and through 97 in particular. And and I, I suspect that that trend will continue. Yeah, I think you're right. And they scored 60 and a half points. And between the four kids at 33, 57, 74, and 84, that was 50 and a half of those points. So they're graduating 50 and a half of the 60 and a half points. So I, I think it's almost impossible for them not to kind of level off and fall back a little bit. Um, you go to Nebraska, who took ninth with 59 and a half. And, and you were you were a guy that noted this all year that these kind of six through ten, seven through eleven teams they were all really close in the rankings, and it was just like an example. You know, one guy wrestling a little better or worse than he was ranked would make a big difference. So Nebraska, it looks to me like it'll be Chris Williams at twenty five, and then either Brian Pesca, maybe Renneria, or maybe McChrystal if he could somehow go down at thirty three. McChrystal or Chad Red at 41. McChrystal, Chad Red or Colin Purinton at 49. Tyler Berger at 57. Dustin Williams, Justin Arthur or Mikey Labriola at 65. Bo Bresky, I think, steps right in at 74. Tyler Benz, 84. Either Eric Schultz or Wyatt Reed at 97. And David Jensen at heavyweight. Now, again, they scored big points at 84, big points at 97, and big points at 33. Um, between those three weights, they scored 42 points, and those points graduate. So they bring back, you know, some – and actually they uh, they also graduate points at 25 with Timmy Lambert, who, who didn't wrestle to a seed but still scored four points. So they they lose a lot of points. Um, 40, 46 of the 59.5 points are gone. I and mean, basically the points they have coming back are Tyler Berger and Colton McChrystal. So – but I do think they can score more points at 65 and 74, especially if they start Labriola and Bo Presky. And you and I talked about this when the Midlands came out. Chad Red was probably six seconds away from getting his red shirt pulled if he had beaten Kalasnik in the semis. So, um, and you know, having somewhat of a relationship with Renneria now after him being in Border Brawl, it, I know that kid wants to start right away. Um, Nebraska's lineup will really have a new look this year, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and, and to your point about Red, uh, yeah, he gave up that last second takedown against Kalazic. Otherwise, he was in the Midlands Finals. And, and uh, you know, if you remember, that was a tournament where Colton McChrystal got clipped a couple times early. It had such a good first month of the season, month and a half of the season, and and then he got clipped a couple times at, at Midlands and um, did not place, uh, if, if memory serves me correct. And, and uh, so all of a sudden, like, you're wondering, is that something that they're kicking around? I remember even asking Mark Manning about it. Is that, you know, is that something you're <laughs> kicking around here all of a sudden? And, of course, they, they didn't pull the trigger on it. Left Chad Red and Red Shirt and, uh, uh you know, probably a pretty wise move, uh, especially given how deep 141 is. And uh, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a it's going to be a fascinating team next year. Uh, you, you you look at Berger, you look at uh, McChrystal, and then as you mentioned, there's there's not a lot of uh, proven commodities outside of those guys. 
Yeah, but Manny and and Snyder and those guys, they always do a good job. They always yep. have a really good dual meet team. And I think you and I, they may not score 59.5 points, but they're going to score a lot more points probably than they're projected to at the beginning of the year. They're, they seem like a program that continues to improve throughout the year. So it'll be interesting Yeah, you're to absolutely see. right. They'll be, they'll be a strong dual team. They're always a strong dual team. Yeah, and we're going to get either Manning or Snyder on in May to talk about the world team trials. Um, they've already told me they would do that, so that'll be fun. Um, number 10 team was Michigan, and I, I will ruin this now. Michigan and Arizona State are probably the two teams that I think are going to make the biggest jumps next year. So looking at their lineup, it looks like they're going to have Austin Acid at 25, Stevon Misic at 33, Sal Profaci at 41. I'm guessing here now um, – I'm guessing Pantaleo at 49, but he might be at 57. And I'm guessing Garrett Sutton would get his way down to 57, but that may not happen. But then they have Logan Massa back at 65, Miles Amin back at 74. They insert Dominic Abinader at 84. I really don't know who they're going to wrestle at 97. Um, Kind of an intriguing thought. I have no idea how big he is, but if Avenatter would go to 97 and they put Jelani Embry in the lineup at 84, and then obviously they have Adam Kuhn coming back off of red shirt at heavyweight, to me, they have three studs from this year, Misich, Massa, and Amin, and I'll do the math here, 10, 20, 30, 38, 47 and a half points between those three guys. And, you know, Logan Massa, had a great freshman tournament, but probably felt like, you know, hey, I should have beat Joseph, and I've gone close with Isaiah. And Misich did a great job in a really hard bracket. And Miles Amin, I think, wrestled from the 9 or 10 seed up to the, the 4 spot. You add in Kuhn, who's a proven All-American, Pantaleo, who's a proven All-American, Avenatter, who hasn't placed yet but has been seeded really high, and Acid, who's had some really good wins. I have them with five weights going up and five weights staying the same and none going down. I really think they could score 75, 80 points next year. How do you see it? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, for all the reasons you outlined and, and it's, um, you know, you, you know, you didn't even mention a couple guys that, uh, uh, you know, Zach Hall had a, had a terrific season. Um, You're right, until, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember what seed he was, or what you know, what his record was going into the NCAA's. I'm going to look it up real quick. But uh, um, that's a guy that had some, some quality wins throughout the season, and uh, uh, you know, he could slot in there somewhere. Maybe maybe stays at 49 if uh, um, Pantaleo goes if, to 57. If Pantaleo goes up. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but but uh, Hall 17 and 12. Um, you know. Didn't uh, if I, memory serves me correct? He didn't wrestle at the NCAA championships. Um, I'm not sure what happened not. there. If he, if uh, it was an injury or a weight issue or what the deal was, but uh, uh, but anyway, he's a guy that, that could factor in there. Um, Jackson Strigo at uh, 197 was was their regular throughout the season there. So um, he's he's the guy that could figure in at 97. Or, um, as well, but uh, you look at it, and, and uh, Kuhn, a guy that uh, could make a run to the finals, Mitchich could make a run to the finals. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Massa. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. a guy that could be there as well. Uh, Amin, um, you know, I knew a little bit about him coming into the year, but, man, he just seemed to get better and better and better <laughs> as the year went along. For sure, and, uh, yeah. So you're talking, um, you know, four, five, six guys, uh, Abinator in there that, uh, you know, that w- will probably be ranked in all American slots to start the season. Exactly. That's exactly right. 33, wherever weight Pantaleo is, Massa, Amin, Abinator, and Kuhn are all going to be ranked in the top eight. Correct. And Kuhn's going to be ranked super high. Massa's going to be ranked third. You know, Misich, I think we ranked fourth or fifth, whatever it is, right in there. I mean, they're not all ranked eighth either. You know, I mean, they're ranked where they're all scheduled to score 10 or more points. And you had a little bit of bonus. That's 70, 75 points right there. Um, you know, my, my friend Mark Ostrander kind of, you know, helped me put some of these together. And, I mean, if you, you think they can get to 75 or 80 points, 
that might put them in fourth place. I mean, it really might. Because you look at the teams ranked ahead of them, it doesn't look like Iowa or Missouri. They they have they're gonna they'd have to wrestle great. They just lose a lot of points. We already talked about how Minnesota, Cornell, and Nebraska lose a lot of points, and it feels like Virginia Tech may stay about even. I mean, Michigan could jump to fourth. You know, then the teams behind them, which we'll talk about next week: Illinois, Lehigh, Wisconsin, Arizona State, and Virginia. Lehigh and Arizona State on paper are the ones that I have jumping, but they're starting, you know, five to ten points behind Michigan. So, um, it, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm friends with Joe McFarland, and, and I'm, and I'm friends with Sean, and um, I, I think they can make a run for that, you know, for one of the team trophies next year. And I, I think that'd be really cool for Michigan, and you know, Cliff Keen and that just that whole area of wrestling. I think that would be, it'd be good for wrestling, you know. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, as you mentioned, it, it's a team that we've talked about like throughout the year. That um, you know, even as as we're we're doing the rankings show throughout the the season, it was kind of like you know, well, you know, here's Michigan sitting in the you know nine, ten, eleven, twelve uh, in that pod throughout the year with with Arizona State, Wisconsin, Lehigh, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, all kind of in that group. Um, but we kept saying, you know, wait, wait until they they add these guys back in their lineup a year That's from now. Right. It's, it's a lineup that could be loaded next year. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's jump gears. I, I read the article that you, we put out, or you guys put out. Tell me about these the South the South Beach duels. It's it's interesting to me. Yeah, so it, it's sort of. Um, you know, basically, Rob Cole has taken the idea that Jay Robinson had. Uh, Jay, for years, talked about, uh, you know, and, and it's it's sort of stealing the idea from college basketball with, you know, the Maui shootout and things like that where, you know, teams go down to – teams go out to Hawaii, they go down to the Bahamas, uh, South Padre, wherever it may be, you know, for holiday tournaments. And, and Jay, for years, had talked about this idea and finally went through with it uh, in 2014, took the team out to Hawaii. There's some other teams out there, I think Oklahoma – was out yeah, there. I remember Oregon that now. State, yeah. if, if, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, was out there. I, I want to say, um, you know, just looking at some results a while back that American University might have been part of it too. Now, there are several teams that went out to it, but uh, uh, I, I think in the end what happened was, it, you know, just the time that it takes to get to Hawaii and the cost of getting to Hawaii. And, and you know, I've been to Hawaii several times. I love it there. That's, you know, my number one. Uh, vacation destination, but that being said, I mean when you when you look at it from a college wrestling standpoint and trying to get um, trying to get family over there and fans over there, it's it's uh, you know not the uh, most fan friendly travel destination. And so what, what Rob Cole wanted to do, and, and you can imagine it from the Cornell perspective, trying to get from Ithaca, New York, to Honolulu, and you know five thousand miles, and how many connections you have to make, right. you know, along the way, and. And so what, what Rob Cole wanted to do was come up with a destination similar um, in terms of climate that, uh, you know, didn't cost as much and didn't take as long to get there. And so uh, he kicked around the idea of doing this uh, dual event down in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. What they're going to do is they're going to have it at St. Thomas Aquinas High School where uh, Brian Smith, he went he graduated from St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, yeah. The athletic director down at St. Thomas Aquinas is George Smith, the uh, famed football coach there. Uh, you know, he, I don't know how many national championships he's won there, but uh, I mean, you could go on and on about the alumni that have come out of that program. <laughs> uh, Michael Irvin. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other guys. But, uh, Florida's pretty good at high school football. We should probably say that. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, Florida's pretty good. And then when you start rattling off the best uh, best programs in Florida, St. Thomas Aquinas is is at or near the top of the list. And so, um, my point with that, um, where I was going with that, George Smith, the athletic director, their retired football coach, uh, he is Roger Chandler's father-in-law, the the Michigan State coach. Oh, okay. And so, cool. a lot of elements came into play here where. 
um, you know, they got uh, the facility at St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, so you've got Brian Smith returning to his alma mater. Roger Chandler bringing Michigan State down to compete um, at, at the school where his, his father-in-law works. Uh, Rob Cole taking his team down there. Uh, Maryland is going to be there. Uh, Edinburgh is on the list. Um, I think there's half a dozen other schools. They're going to take, I think, up to 20 teams, and it's going to be December 29th and 30th. It's not going to be a bracketed dual tournament, at least as of right now it won't be. It's going to be one of those deals where um, you can take your team down there if you want to wrestle two duels, you want to wrestle five, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do, who you want to face, Um, and and it just gives – teams a lot of flexibility from a scheduling standpoint there and also you know talking to rob cole i I, yesterday uh i asked him like you know where where did this idea start and he said uh you know basically from getting up at 4 30 in the morning to get kids ready to get down to wait for the southern scuffle and and wanted to get away from that uh especially on the holiday break and they think uh you know one of the things they're not going to have any weigh-ins before 10 in the morning um and Rob told me one of, a casual one of Friday. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that they're going to do, Cornell, Rob told me that they have already rented an Airbnb uh, mansion, basically, that has a full size basketball court and a giant swimming pool. And they're going to throw a couple mats down on the basketball court. And they're going to work out outdoors in the morning. And then they're going to let the guys go to the beach. They're going to uh, come back in the evening, play some basketball. Uh, probably get another wrestling workout in. And I think, uh, you know, in talking to both Rob Cole and Brian Smith, I think one of the things that's really appealing to them is just having that, that uh, break, so to speak, in the middle of the season there where, where uh, you know, they get their teams out of the, the Midwest cold or out of the Northeast cold and, and take them down south to Florida, let them uh, kind of recharge a little bit and, uh uh, you know, and in talking to Brian Smith, he said that uh, his guys just lit up when he told them what they were going to be doing uh, over Christmas break this year. You, you got to credit both of those guys. They're always, always looking for, you know, new ways to, to grow, you know, grow the sport, stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, how those, you know, like there's no way to tell if this will be good or bad for their kids come March unless, you know, until March happens. And you really don't know if you can correlate it to that anyway. But, you know, the other side of it is going to be it's going to weaken the Southern Scuffle and it's going to weaken, you know, I don't think depending on which teams come, it's going to weaken the, uh, the Midlands Midlands as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's butting heads with the Midlands, same dates as the Midlands. Uh, one of the questions that I had for these guys was, uh, you know, does it change the way you schedule at all? What does it do? You know, you, you go down the scuffle, you're facing um, top, top competition down there. Is there anything you do to adjust? And Rob Cole said, uh, we've kind of, you know, already gone to work on that um, in terms of dual scheduling. And, and they're going to, uh, Cornell, uh, he said that they have uh, dual set up this year with, uh, North Carolina State and Virginia Tech, and they're also going to uh, dual Oklahoma State again. Um, so, so that'll be interesting. I, I I'm curious to see. He, you know, one of the things Rob Cole told me as well was that, um, you know, there are a couple other, uh, you know, he he thinks by the time this is done, and and uh, again, it's at 13 teams now. They're nowhere near being done. He feels like the more that the coaches hear about this, the more that they're going to want to get on board. But uh, uh, he thinks that there could be a couple more big, big-time programs joining uh, the entry list as well before this is all said and done. Yeah, the only the only thing that I have any negative thoughts about is I know how hard the folks in Evanston, and I know it's going to be off campus this year while they're renovating, but. How how hard those folks work at it every year. My dad and Ken Kraft are friends, or were friends, and I know how hard Heath Esslinger works down there at, at Chat. And so you know, it, it's sad to see that for this to get strong, those two events will have to get a little weaker. Um, you know, it, it'll, but you know, I guess 
it's a, a different approach. And when you coach kids in a dual meet, the good thing about coaching dual meets are you know all your guys are going to get two, three, four, five matches, like you said, depending. You know, if you have a young team, like we used to take junior college teams to these really hard D1, D2 level tournaments, and your studs would get six, seven matches, but your not studs would be, you know, they'd be done by 1030 in the morning. You know, so the cool thing about the dual, the dual format is they can get as many matches as they want. They can schedule teams that they don't see all year. And, you know, you, you're going to get to see every other kid in that lineup. So that it's it's cool, and I, I like what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, and, and I'm sure you'll keep following up on that or they'll be contacting you as more teams get added to that. So that, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, and, and one of the things – one of the things that they're doing with it too, I mean, it's going to be more than just this college event. They're, they're adding uh, the high school. They're going to have a high school tournament on one end of it. They're going to have a youth tournament on one end of it. They're hoping to get a uh, kind of an Olympic training um, camp set up as well. With yeah. It. Um, I read that. So, yeah. So there's, they're, they're thinking beyond just um, 13 college teams or, or where, how many ever they wind up with, it, it could be, uh, you know, a lot bigger spectacle than that. And I think one of the things that's, uh, that could be really cool about it is, is um, we've seen here in the last several years, Florida high school wrestling really, really thrive, really take an uptick in, in the, you know, we've seen, we've seen for years, you know, individuals here and there, you know, Eric Grahalis, Cesar Grahalis, Franklin Gomez, the, you know, the, the Brandon right. kids. Um, but it, it seems like there are more and more and more uh, top level kids coming out of there. Lake Highland prep has really uh, come on here in the last three or four years. And, and uh, you know, th- that program has, has done a terrific job here recently. And, and I know there are a lot of programs that are up and coming in that region of country. And so, this is this is pretty cool. I mean, they don't they don't get a chance to watch much college wrestling in person um, down in that that region of the country, and and uh, you know now they're going to get to see um, you know get to see some big time college programs coming down there and and see some top guys on the map. Yeah, you say a lot of things that I think are really smart, both on this podcast and just when we talk. But one of the things you said that really struck me was. I don't remember how we started on the, the topic, but you were talking about how South Dakota State, as an example, has done such a great job of making dual meets matter and of just growing the sport and their program through dual meets. And it feels like this is another – it's not exactly the same because obviously it's not really a home meet for anybody, but that people will get excited about the dual meets. And there isn't going to be a team that leaves there with the trophy, but people will see amazing wrestling and really cool matchups. and. And like you said, Florida's Florida was a great place to recruit when we were in junior college, like South Dade and all those guys. Victor Balmacito would run studs out of there every year. And they're going to get to see great wrestling. You know, Cornell and Missouri are, are perennial top ten programs. You know, they're bringing back studs next year. I, I think it's really cool. And if I was on one of those two teams and I heard I was going there, you know, and, you know, my coach is going to run out of basketball court and, we're going to hang out and I don't have to make way till 10 in the morning. That sounds pretty doggone good for the holidays. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. It really is to see if it's, it's something that uh, thrives. I think uh, from a cost standpoint, uh, Fort Lauderdale makes a lot more sense than, than Honolulu. Uh, and yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Rob, Rob Cole and I were talking about it. We were talking about it yesterday about, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, average temperature down there in December. And I've, I've been to Fort Lauderdale once it was, uh, covering the 2010 orange bowl and, uh, Iowa played Georgia tech down there and, and it was 29 degrees the night of the game. And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, uh, so I much there, for balmy weather. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, of course, like you go to the airport and there's no heat there. You go to the, you know into the hotel and and it's not like it's heated there either. I mean, I I didn't get thawed out until I got back to Iowa. But uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it was eleven. It was eleven degrees when I got back to Iowa, and I felt warmer than I did when I left Florida. But, yeah. Uh, but anyway, That's I think funny. I think 
you know, it, it will probably be a lot nicer in Fort Lauderdale than it, than it would be in uh, Ithaca that time of year or Columbia, Missouri. So uh, really excited to see what the what the final list of teams is there and, and what some of the matchups that uh, we'll see there. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, yeah. I think it's uh, I, I think it's a you know an interesting concept and just cool to see uh, coaches. You know, thinking outside the box a little bit and trying something different. And, uh, you know, if it works, great. If it doesn't, uh, you know, I think you'll see Missouri and Cornell going back to the Scuffle or Midlands or yeah, some exactly. along those lines. And, and uh, you know, at least they tried something. So uh, we'll see what happens. I agree. There, there's just one last subject I wanted to run by you this week, and it's it's, I think, fairly timely because they're going to announce – the location for nationals for 2019 through 22 next week, I believe on Wednesday, the 19th. And I think maybe some people know, but not everyone that there's a proposal to turn wrestling. You know, we've talked about it into a one semester sport. And if they do that, it'd obviously be a spring semester sport. The idea of it would be to get away from basketball so we could get more publicity as a sport in spots like USA today, maybe, you know, more primetime coverage like ESPN where we're not battling the round of 64 basketball tournament. The downside to going to one semester as it stands now is that any team or any, excuse me, any city that has an NBA or NHL team could not host that because playoffs for those sports are completely random depending on whether or not, like here in St. Louis, whether the St. Louis Blues make the playoffs or like next year in Cleveland, whether the Cavaliers make the playoffs or not. Um, But I think what's coming, and I don't know this, is that they're talking about moving the Nationals possibly to either cities that don't have wrestling necessarily, like Louisville, Kansas City, maybe even Las Vegas, And they're also talking about moving wrestling in the domes. And I've had a lot of conversations with people about this. Um, I'm a big proponent of the Nationals being in St. Louis. Obviously, I'm biased because it's easy for me to get there. But I think St. Louis does a great job. But the dome versus arena thing, I think, is really a subject, at least for people to keep their eye on. Because I think the NCAA looks at it and says, hey, you know, we've got we sell out, we have this commodity and we sell out 17 to 19,000 tickets in an hour. So, you know, maybe we could sell out 25 to 35,000 tickets. Uh, Somebody who I really trust said that they don't, you know, even if they kind of curtain off half the dome, that the sight lines and some of those other things will not, that the experience for the consumer, for the patron will not be nearly as good but I know the argument for the dome on the upside is probably more floor space, easier for media, more areas for the kids to work out. So I don't think people probably realize this. You and I maybe go over an outline, you know, ahead of time for these podcasts, but we don't really, you know, there's no script. So I'm really interested to kind of, you know, this is the first time I'm talking to you about this. What are your thoughts on the one semester versus two and the domes versus arenas and rotating the nationals of various parts of the country. I'm really interested to hear what you think about all that. Well, starting with the, the, you know, moving the season, um, I really don't see a whole lot of downside in, in, in trying it at least. And, but, but it's not going to happen until uh, 2023 at the earliest now. Um, Correct. It, it's not, it's not going to happen in, in this next round of, of uh, site announce, you know, this, this next round of, sites that will be announced here next week. Um, I, I do think that there are a lot of benefits to that, um, particularly from an academic side. And you, you look at it uh, uh, right now, and, and you've got, um, obviously, the first half of the season um, where, where competition starts, you're, you're dealing with finals in there. And, and I imagine that, uh, you, you know, you you look at the second semester too, and, and uh, the most important part of the wrestling season is eating up the first half of, of the second semester. And so, uh, you know, from a, a scheduling class standpoint, I think uh, you could really load up on your, your, your coursework in the first semester. It would give uh, freshmen 
coming on to on the campus, um, a, a good adjustment phase um, where they can really, you know, set a good academic base for themselves in that first semester uh, without having to worry about competition and, and weight, you know, getting their weight down and and all the stresses that come with, you know, the competitive season. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I think that that could be good, and especially when you look at um, the, the future of, of college wrestling and how important APR numbers are and, and you know, to athletic directors and, and wanting to, you know, be as strong as possible to, to make sure the sport is as healthy as possible at, on as many campuses as possible. I think that, that it's good to look at it from an academic standpoint, and there are a lot of benefits from it that way. From a promotion standpoint, I see really no downside to, to trying to get away from, um, you know, everybody talks about how wrestling goes head-to-head against uh, March Madness. Um, right. Also, the way that the schedule is currently set up, wrestling goes head-to-head with wrestling. And that, to me, is is an even bigger issue because, and I'm not just talking about the NCAA championships here. I'm talking about, like, dual meet attendance throughout the season. And, you know, most of our dual meets are Friday nights, um, Saturdays, and Sundays uh, during the college season. And, and you think about, like, one of our biggest um, you know, fan bases are, are, are high school wrestlers and their parents. And, and how much do we prevent them from getting to college meets because they're either getting ready for a tournament, they're traveling um, to a Saturday tournament, or they're competing in one. And... And I think that we could see, as a sport, I think we could see dual meet attendance rise even more if we get away from wrestling season. And, I agree. And we, you know, the high school wrestling season. You look at the national duels when they were up in Minneapolis the last go-around, when it was Oklahoma State and Minnesota in the finals. I, I, I can't remember. It was 2013, maybe. And there were 2,300 people in the stands. Because of the conflict the national with the state duels tournament. Finals. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. it wasn't the state tournament. It was the qualifying tournament. Right, and, you're right. And yeah. that's an example of, um, you know, the, Minnesota, there's a pretty proud program up there, and there's a long-established fan base there, and, and they show up, uh, you know, for big meets. They, they're they there, and, and, you know, Iowa goes up there, and there's 10,000 people in the stands. And, and for there to only be 2,300 people for that event, that to me was an eye-opener of how much – you know, not just getting away from from March Madness, but getting away from the high school season. And, and yeah, and, uh, I, at, as it stands right now, I mean, when when you look at, at what we're asking fans to do, um, you know, you look at it in mid February. You've got uh, high school. A, a lot of high school state championship events are are the second or third Saturday, um, or second or third week in February, and then you go. Um, a week later, or, or or that weekend is is the national duels, and then you know a couple weeks later it's it's the qualifying tournaments, and two weeks later uh, it's the national championship, and and that's a lot of events that you're asking the fans to go to, and I, I know not all of them go to all of all of those events, but but it, the ones that that would like to to try to go to that many events week after week after week after week. A lot of travel. It's a lot of cost, and, and granted, you're not gonna not gonna defer any costs, um, or not gonna decrease any costs by spreading them out. But but that being said, I think that uh, you may get get a few more fans. You may get a lot more yeah. fans. Yeah, you get uh, a lot by, more married guys. Things out a little bit more. Yeah, you get a lot more married guys that can go instead of telling their wives they're going to be gone five weekends in a row. I think from a coaching standpoint, a college coaching standpoint, which is how I look at it, is a lot easier to recruit now, right? Because you can make it to Ironman. You can make it to any of the big Christmas tournaments. And you can set up your college schedule to be off any weekend that you want to go to whichever high school state tournament you want to go to. So those are just some other thoughts. I mean, I'm conflicted because I really don't know how it's going to impact like a city like St. Louis, unless they're willing to put it in the dome, you know, because, I mean, the other alternative is to literally have it this past weekend, the 8th, the second weekend in April, because you you're, you missed the final four. You could jam the season into one semester that way, and you could still have 
the use the the arenas versus the domes because neither one of the playoffs has started. The other thing that is worth considering is that it will be a conflict for a lot of there will be a conflict with some of USA Wrestling's events like the U.S. Open and stuff like that. But if you think about it, the 330 kids that qualify for nationals, it's probably going to impact like 15 to 20 of them. So it might be something where you just do it for the greater good. But I just think this is something that's going to continue to develop. I think if you see a city, if you see them give it to a dome in any of these, in this four-bid cycle, that you can almost guarantee that that's their handwriting on the wall, that they're going to end up going to a one-semester sport. And I think if you don't, then maybe it's been rethought through and they're probably going to try to keep it when it is or in the first weekend of April. And so, you know, sometimes it's easy to read the tea leaves, sometimes it isn't. In this case, it feels like there would be some definite indicators based on how the announcement next week goes. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm real wild about the idea of having the, the tournament in a dome. You know, I, I'm not. I, uh, I'm not. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I was uh, back in college on a, a junior college baseball road trip, spring break trip in '97 when uh, the NCAA championships were were up here in Cedar Falls. So I didn't see what that was all about. Um, I don't know if you were there. If you had any. Um, take on that tournament but uh I, I do know way back when my dad and i back in 1989 we went to uh we <laughs> dropped my mom off for a flight up in minneapolis and it was the same weekend as uh the elite eight was up in uh up in minneapolis illinois was playing syracuse like Derek coleman and nick anderson and all those guys wow Old school greatness, yeah. Way back when, way back when. And we were like, well, we're in Minneapolis. They're playing this game in the go, <laughs> And so we went and picked up a couple tickets for like four bucks or something. And we sat way up with the pigeons. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you, you practically needed a telescope to see what was going on down there on the court. But uh, but anyway, I, I, I wonder, you know, wrestling, you just see so much more. You know when you're when you're up close. I mean, the sport looks yeah. so different when you're mat side versus uh, when you're in row 42. And uh, you know, I wonder if 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 we lose something, you know, by taking it to a place do. like that. And I I also wonder, I also wonder if uh, you know w- how far up does the attendance go just by taking it to the dome? You know, does, that do, is we, the, do we get to yeah. 25,000? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the demand. Is quite there yet? Um, That's exactly what my friend said to me last night. He was exactly what he said to me last night because I told him we were going to talk about this, and he goes, "Just because eighteen thousand people buy tickets an hour doesn't mean there's another eighteen thousand people that are upset they didn't go." He goes, "How many people do you know that really want to go to nationals that can't get a ticket?" And I go, "Nobody." He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "And you think that's because you know a lot of people?" that can get tickets, he goes, but maybe it's just because everybody who wants tickets eventually gets them. Yeah. Yep. So it's just an and, interesting uh, dilemma, right? No matter, you know, yeah. there's really good arguments on both sides, honestly. Yep. Yep. And you look at, at some of those sessions, particularly the the um, Saturday morning session and, and Thursday morning, it, you know, you, you don't have the place jam-packed. Uh, no, they're sold out, but it's not full, full out. Yeah, for sure. And, the, yeah, the thing that – here's the conflict. If you want to go to a one-semester sport and you want to push it back, you know, like this year, like to say the weekend of April 29th, which is probably like the last weekend of April would be when you would do it, you avoid finals. One, you have a direct conflict with the U.S. Open. And number two, you're going to have to use domes or go to like the five cities in the country that are big enough and have big enough airports and everything that don't have hockey or NBA teams. So if you go, well, we don't want to do that. You know, we want to, you know, we've looked at it. We really don't, we don't think a dome suits us well. Okay. Well now you got to move it back at the most two weeks or three weeks to the second weekend of April, the weekend after final four, you have to condense the season even shorter 
you have probably have to start like right after finals, you know, start before Christmas to get all the same amount of dates in, but you get to keep arenas. That might be the happy medium, but it's going to, I mean, there's smart people thinking about this, but I mean, this isn't one of those no brainer decisions and no matter which that you just go one way and you go, that's definitely the right way to go about it. So I'll be right. really interested to see how they try to solve, solve the Rubik's cube on this one. Yeah, I, I do know that uh, there, there are a lot of smart people, as you mentioned, that are that are thinking about this, and and not just um, wrestling coaches, but but uh, uh, you know, athletic directors. Um, you know, uh, Bob Bolsby, the the Big Twelve commissioner. I know he is he's involved in that Blue Ribbon Task Force. A uh, guy that grew up here in Waterloo. Um, you know, with with a wrestling background. Um, so, so there are a lot of people looking at it uh, from a lot of different standpoints. I do think that, uh, you know, when when athletic directors get involved in stuff like this, it's it's important for uh, it's important for wrestling to listen to what they have to say because those are the people that are going to maybe be making the the uh, tough decisions when when budget cuts come along the lines, and uh, you know they know what uh, what people in those positions are thinking about. Yeah, for sure. And you've had a busy week, and I have too. We didn't have a chance to talk about this ahead of time, but I, you know, you're always so rational about this stuff, and you look at it from a really smart point of view. So I feel comfortable that I'm, I think, on the same side as you. I mean, I'm probably thinking about it pretty smartly. So I'll take it while I can. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out next week, though. I mean, I'm, I'm really rooting for St. Louis to get one of the four bids at least. I hope they do. Well, I'd be surprised if St. Louis isn't in the rotation just because of of the history. I mean, it it, it seems like uh, you know they're you know if you're gonna you're gonna bet on on any city in the bunch to to maybe get a chance at uh, hosting one of these next four, I, I would I'd be hard pressed to put any other other city above St. Louis just because of uh, you know how well that tournament has, has thrived in that city and and. Uh, just for all, this, all the reasons, all the things that it's got going for it, the hotels, the travel, um, the location, uh, airport hub there. Um, and the sports know, commission. Like, I mean, i, I got to yep. give a shout-out to Chris Roseman. That guy, every year, he gets impact or input. He tries to make the changes that people want. He's very receptive. He's very coachable. Checks his ego at the door. Super organized guy. They have 250 volunteers ready to go every time this thing comes to St. Louis. That's not a slight against any other city, but it's just a massive undertaking. And when you've done it more than once in almost anything in life, as you do something more often, you get better at it. So, you know, yeah, it's cool, man. It'll be really interesting to see what happens next week. I'll be, uh, I will definitely, we may not, I guess we'll do our podcast the day before that announcement, but then the next week we'll definitely have something to talk about for sure. Well, maybe we'll adjust our schedule next week, too. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's a down. solution. <laughs> no. Anyway, anything else, David? No, man. Appreciate your time. I always like talking to you. Likewise. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, check trackwrestling.com for that story about the South Beach duels. We'll have a little bit of a breakdown of uh, some of the cities in play for the NCAA championships bid here in the next week. Um, so look for that as well. If you want to listen to us on the go, you can download and listen on the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in this week, and we'll be back next week. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.